Last week we started uh, looking at 1 Thessalonians. I shared a few of the reasons why we're looking at that. I believe it's a, a relevant book for us. But I, I wanted to start tonight by just saying the Bible is not a book, right? The Bible is a collection of books or writings. Uh, a, some call it a, a library. That's what biblios means. That's why when you look at a bibliography, it's someone's research in a library is what it has to do with. This, these are the writings that I drew from in my bibliography. And the Bible is a collection of writings by a variety of writers inspired by God in a variety of ways and circumstances for a variety of reasons. So some wrote, um, you know, you've got things like historical uh, records, uh, documents, something like Chronicles, where it chronicles the kings of uh, Judah, that kind of thing. And then you've got poetry and songs, where you've got the, the outpouring of uh, somebody's heart when they were facing um, challenges. I like that David says things like, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's like I, when my heart's overwhelmed, when I don't know what to do, lead me to God. And that was written as a song. That was you know, like he's pouring it out, you know. And there's times where he was pouring out the blues, you know. Lord, it's bad. My closest friends have betrayed me. And, uh, you know, he, he says things like this in song. Then there is wisdom literature like the Proverbs where, you know, these sort of pithy sayings that are written in such a way that they're memorable. You can keep those things in your head. You know, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Well, if you take that as fully true all the time, you'll find it isn't, because there are even cases where it says something like, don't deal with a fool according to his folly, um, and then the next verse says, deal with the fool according to his folly. But it gives you a reason of why each of those things is true. So the Bible has a lot of literature in it that goes in different directions. What we began to work on last week looking at 1 Thessalonians is Paul's letter to a young church in a town, a city called Thessalonica, an important city that was on a a major roadway that went east and west, and it was established, it was called a free city, a Roman city, in the province of Macedonia, which is in modern-day Greece. And uh, this Roman city was named after Alexander the Great's half-sister. So this was, and this was his territory. This was Alexander's territory. Now, this is one of Paul's earliest letters, and just as a point of interest, Thessalonica was the first missionary um, excursion into Europe. This was, so this was kind of a significant place, this young church where people had come to faith. And it's believed that the book of Thessalon uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, the, the letter uh, to the Thessalonians was written very shortly after Paul had been there, and Second Thessalonians was written within weeks or even days of the first letter because he answered some questions, and then it didn't settle at all. He had to write again. So just a little bit of in, um, uh, information about that. What makes Paul's letters 
all of his letters, and this one included, so helpful and relevant to us nearly 2,000 years after he wrote them, is that people asked questions. People, new believers like these ones, they were, they were new in the faith, but full of faith, as we'll see. They asked questions. They wanted to know about issues of the faith. They're new. They knew that Paul was solid in the faith. He was going about, I think this was his second missionary journey. He's going about, he's, a, he's an authority. He's somebody credible and faithful who has paid a great price. And they know that Paul's got answers. They had questions. Paul's got answers. And Paul gave answers in his letters. But he didn't just give answers and information like a professor. He also encouraged them. He comforted them. He prayed for them in writing and said, this is what I'm praying for you. He did so much more than he corrected them in places, not just what they thought, but their behavior. So he did all of these things. And what people needed in 50 AD, which is about when... This letter was written 20 years after Jesus died, maybe not even. So this is, this is, it's fresh. You know, the stories, the, the murmurings about Christ's resurrection would have been pretty fresh. This was less than 20 years after his death. What people needed in 50 AD, they need in 2022. Amen? We need encouragement we need comfort we need correction we need direction we need instruction and what they needed we need amen we need more we need to see clearly to know clearly we need to know that a father in the faith like paul is giving us instruction and direction to walk by for instance i i've had after last week's message i've had an enjoyable week in prayer and I tell you that just so you'll know how holy I am. I, no, I'm telling you that because last week I read this verse. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind. And he begins to talk about who they are. But he said, we give thanks to God always for all of you. I think all of us need to know that somebody's thankful for us. That's an encouragement. And one way that we can know that, that this church is a place where people are thankful for us is to be someone who's thankful for others and begin to do that in prayer regularly. And I like this. Let me, let me set you free from something. It says making mention of you in our prayers. So Paul had all these people in all these places. He wasn't spending an hour a day praying for each person. Maybe at times God put somebody on his heart and he prayed long for them, but he says, making mention of you in our prayers. I like that. That is a freeing thing. So that when we're praying at times, it's like, I might only have an hour to pray. I've prayed for these things, those things, and now, God, I just make mention of Juliet. I, I have a sense that there's something in her life, God, that you would do, or maybe she's even told me, God, I pray you'd meet that need. And God, I also pray for Ely that you would do such and such. And Michael, oh, God, I don't have an hour to go through all the things he needs prayer for, but I do pray. Like, sometimes you're just making mention, right? And it's good. And um, 
By the way, Michael does need prayer. Father, we speak life over him this week in the name of Jesus. I know he's had a lot of um, health issues this week. And we speak life into your physical body. Okay, so he says, making mention of you, but giving thanks. This week, I've had fun giving thanks for you guys. For praying for the church and giving thanks. And uh, because our church is small... I know everyone who goes to our church, even those on the fringe, even the pets of the people who go. No, I can go through alphabetically everyone in our church and give thanks, and I do it. And it was fun this week. I got charged speaking blessing over your lives, over our lives. Um, You know, and it... I encourage you. Did anyone else try it this week? Okay. This week, please do. This week, take that. Give thanks for those in your church, for those around you. If you haven't done it already, do it. It's encouraging. And I believe it will result in good things. It's an encouragement to the one giving thanks and thinking of the people, but it'll result in good things for us speaking blessing over those in our church. There will be some good results. Amen? Praying for each other. Okay, let's read 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verses 1 to 10. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Let me stop for just one second. That word, knowing brethren, that is a word in Greek that often means males, but it also means siblings in a family. So please don't stumble over the fact that it says brethren. It also could be said Uh, children or brothers and sisters so let's take it that way knowing brothers and sisters beloved by God his choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction just as you know uh, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. I look forward to getting that verse, but we're not getting there today. Okay. Last week we introduced this and noted that this blessing, it starts with grace to you and peace. Think of that blessing as a, or that greeting as a simple five-word prophetic prayer. 
that someone just declares grace to you and peace. Just, just declaring that over the church. Grace to you and peace uh, over someone in the church or over the church in the power of God's spirit in Jesus' name. Grace to you and peace. And as mentioned, he gave thanks for them in view of the authenticity of their claim to be Christ followers. That's why he says, constantly, I gave thanks for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's giving thanks and he's making mention of them constantly aware of the their faith being substantiated by their lifestyle. Their, their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. These things are effort. Their actions lined up with the reality of what they claimed to be. They said they were Christians, and it was evidenced by the work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Action and effort prove our faith, hope, and love. Amen? Action and effort. I mean, we hear that said at times. Actions speak louder than words, right? And so these guys weren't just saying we are Christians or yes, we're following. Because has anybody in here ever heard someone say they're a Christian, but then they do something and you go, yeah, probably all of us, right? What was that? I hope it wasn't me. Yeah, that's right. I knew Rose, you would go there. <laughs> okay. All right. I didn't want to get it that specific, but um, he says in verse four that we got, that's up to where, or that's where we got to uh, last week. He says, your faith, your love, your hope, your walk with Christ was substantiated, was proven true by your effort. And then he says this, we know, brothers and sisters, who are dearly loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know that God has chosen you. How can he be so certain? In fact, one translation says, we are certain, brothers and sisters, that God has chosen you. How could he be so certain? Again, by knowing these people and their lifestyle and how they conduct themselves. That's how they can be sure. Ah, the way they conduct themselves shows that they are believers. And by knowing what God says and values and is pleased by, they know something about what God desires. And they can say, these people live this way, this is what God says? Oh, it, al- it lines up. There, we know that God has chosen you. Um, we know that God values this. He's pleased by this, and that's how they live. Paul, um, we see what lines up with God's word, and his word reveals him. And then we say, oh, that lines up. Jesus said in Matthew seven sixteen that wolves can wear sheep's clothing, but you will know them by their fruit. So somebody can, a wolf can wear sheep's clothing, but Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. That's what Paul's seeing here. The fruit of their lives, the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope. He's looking at the fruit. He's assessing it 
their true nature was revealed by the fruit of their lives. And Paul is making a favorable judgment. How many have ever heard people say, we're not supposed to judge? You've heard that, right? And there is an element of that that is true. But the the term that says don't judge means don't condemn. We're not to condemn. But there's also verses that say specifically to judge. And Paul is judging right here. He's assessing. He's making a judgment. And he's able to do a favorable one here. But in other places, he makes unfavorable judgments. But not just to be condemning or unfavorable. He doesn't ever say they're past help. In fact, in one case, he talks about somebody who did something despicably immoral. And he says, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. So what? So they might be saved. He's always looking for that. He's always reaching for that. That's it. He wasn't writing them off, but he makes a judgment for the sake of the person, the offender, but also for the sake of those who might be led astray by wolves in sheep's clothing. Know them by their fruit. And he does. He speaks that way. And we're supposed to do that. Amen? We're supposed to make sound judgment. Are you guys comfortable with that? Is that okay? That we do that? And how do we do it? We line it up with that, right? Amen. We do that. We don't just make it, you know, kind of how we feel, you know, that kind of thing, because we do that all the time anyway, and we're not supposed to. Okay, so without explanation here, without further explanation, Paul just says, we know, brothers and sisters, who are beloved by God, that he has chosen you. He words it here, his choice of you. He's chosen you. Now, I, for now, I want to say this about this whole thing of the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. I want to just say right here, Paul doesn't go into a long discourse on that, but he does make it clear that the choice of God, the will of God, God's choosing is much more valuable and profound than ours. He, sa- he doesn't say here, and then you guys chose to follow God. No, he says God chose them. Okay? The, the, the sovereign will of God is, is greater than our will, our free will. I'm so glad that God, in his grace, like we were singing earlier can steer my life to bring me to a place that even in my rebellion, I was brought to a place to trust him. That was not just my free will doing that, because that would have been a work that I could boast in. It was the sovereign choice of God to bring me around to that. So, he says, We know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He says here, the words of the gospel would not have had much impact if they had not been accompanied by God's power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So the, the message... The message of God is that God sent his son to live a sinless life in this world as one of us and then so that he could die in our place to carry the, the sin that we were um, guilty of 
and pay the price that it warranted and then be raised from the dead, receive new life, that he could offer forgiveness to all who would put their faith in his sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. That saving message of Jesus preached to sinners, sinners who deserved death for their sin, that message preached to them with the power of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, is life. It wasn't just words. It's not just words. This is, there's another place in 1 Corinthians that says, the kingdom of God does not come in word alone or word only, but with power. It's a kingdom of power. That message came to the Thessalonians with power. More than something, more than just nicely crafted rhetoric. A nice argument. Wow, they've thought of all. You know, I listened to some uh, videos, some newsmakers who are really top-notch thinkers. And I, I hear them, and I won't say names because maybe you hate those people. But some of these people... They're such good thinkers, clear thinkers, kind of like, you know, C.S. Lewis was a clear thinker, and you'd think, man, it's, it's, uh, I think his name is William Lane Craig is a guy alive today who's apparently just a, a he can debate anybody. He's just powerful in that kind of thing, and I think, I'm jealous of those kind of people. But Jordan Peterson, uh, the power of logic and this kind of thing, and you, you hear that and you think, do we have to be that good to make the gospel stick with those words? No. And thank God, because there's only a few people that really have those, some of those kind of gifts. Um, but the Holy Spirit comes along when we're willing, and God says, I want you to talk to that person. And you think, oh boy, I don't even really know if I know how to relate to them. Rose and I had neighbors when we were first married, the first apartment we lived in. There was a lovely young couple uh, that were, I think they were still in university at the time, maybe doing their grad degrees in the apartment next to us. And one day I uh, walked down to get the mail and the uh, lady that, the, the woman, she had just gotten the mail or something. She was coming back and we got talking in the hallway and before I knew it, this young woman was ready to give her heart to the Lord. And it's like, wow, I, like it just, you know, I went to get the mail. And, you know, and she's in the hallway. We got talking, and before I knew it, she was ready. And, and it's like, okay, how, how do I do this? Because people are coming, you know, through the hall sometime, and it's like, I don't want to make her uncomfortable. And so I said, well, are you comfortable stepping just inside our apartment in the entryway? Because these people going by, and you know, and so we went in, and she received Christ, and it was like, wow, it's like, I, how did this happen? I'm just, you know, it wasn't that I was so good at presenting it that she couldn't possibly, you know, decline. Um, it's, it's like, no, God can use each one of us. We open up and say, well, I know this message. Romans 1.16 says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. There's power in it, resident in it. God's made it that way. It's not like, okay, we need Paul, because Paul is so good. No, he's, Paul was good, and he, he was brilliant. 
but the Holy Spirit is brillianter, okay? Um, now you know why it was such a miracle that anybody ever received from me. But the gospel came with full conviction. That means, that word in some translations is translated with full assurance. And it means firm persuasion, firm belief. And I've seen it at different times. And it really, I, I need to give myself a shake sometime and think, why was I afraid? God's the one doing that. Like, Bring it in. Well, you know, in the summer, Rose and I got to sit with a, a, a co-worker of hers, and a, we, she asked some questions, and it just opened up, and it's like, okay, I'm dropping the gospel here so that I don't know how long it might take, but I'm planting that seed in here. And it was like she was asking for what we believe. And it's like, I love those kind of opportunities. That's evangelism for dummies. It's like, please tell me <laughs> how to be saved. It's like, thank you. You don't have to try and fit it into the thing. And, and But it's like, let's just put the seed there, the seed of the gospel there, and let God do the work in somebody's heart. Amen? The Holy Spirit can do with the gospel when it's presented to a sinner what we can never do by persuasion. He did it then, he does it now. He wants to, he energizes, there's, there's an energizing of conviction in the gospel and power. The Holy Spirit is active in it. He'll do that. Let's speak it out. Let's present it and see what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives. Amen. Let's take the chance. You know, John 16, 8, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict or convince or assure. He'll make it clear, okay? So he does that. So when you fear that you can't present the message of Jesus adequately, oh, I'm not like Paul. I want you to remember, God isn't dependent on you to preach, on how perfectly you preach. He he made it so it will be effective and fruitful despite our limitations and our limited abilities. He's, he's used people, all kinds of people who are, you know, who have a simple childlike faith. And in fact, he used Paul, Sylvanus, Sylvanus and Timothy here. They, you know, they were uh, missionaries, but he used them in this town from city to city. They, they went around and they preached it. They laid it out, and people were like, I need that. That's for me. Okay, we're going to see more of that. And why? Because God really wants to save lost people. He wants it so much that he can't be just dependent on our uh, lack of talent, on our lack of ability, uh, even on our insecurity that, oh, not me, not me. Yeah, you, step out and do it. His plan can't just rest on us. He wants to be, he wants to save lost people. Amen? If we leave here tonight, remember that. God really wants to save lost people because the alternative means eternity separated from Jesus. And that's a, that's a brutal reality. God loves the world too much to just let that happen without a fight and without the gospel being presented so people have an option. And Paul points out that his life and the lives of those with him, when they brought the gospel to Thessalonica, 
his life and the others, they were, their lives were proof of the effectiveness of the gospel. Again, it's not only words. It results in transformed lives. He says here, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You know what we were like. Now that sounds maybe almost conceited that Paul would say, boy, you know what kind of testimony we kept. But hey, that shouldn't be like an arrogant thing to say. Hey, we, we walked uprightly. We did our best not to gossip. We weren't stealing. We weren't, uh, you know, working an angle to, you know, kind of get everything for us and nothing for you. The, you know what kind of lives we lived. In some of these places, Paul was working as a tent maker. That he had a trade so that he didn't even have to be a burden to the church in some of these places. That was what he did. They came and the people saw transformed lives. Think about Paul. They knew, oh, this is that guy. This is that guy that used to take the Jews who were turning to Christ and he'd throw them in jail. And he didn't just do it in Jerusalem. He was going other places to round them up. He, he had a, um, what's the word, uh, a, a vehement uh, disdain for this sect, for this new thing, this new, what they called the way. He, 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 was, he was against it, decidedly, determinedly against it. And now they know this guy's different. This guy's transformed. He's not only preaching Christ, but he's compassionate to the nth degree. This guy is this guy's beautiful. This guy is suffering for the gospel. Which in a moment we'll see. They did too. They saw transformed lives. Paul's life was transformed by Christ. And in process of being transformed more, then he and his team went from city to city telling people about Jesus. And others believed and began to be transformed. Including the Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit was bringing conviction that these things that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are preaching are true. And they were turning. And he says the Thessalonians themselves were transformed. Look what he says. You know what kind of people we were among you? And he says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Spirit. They didn't even just have an easy time of it. It wasn't like, hey, come to Jesus. It's going to be a party. This is going to be great. You're going to be so contented, so satisfied. Everything's going to be so wonderful. Except for the fact that in Thessalonica, the Jews hate us and they're going to come after us and persecute us. Other than that, don't worry about it. I mean, a little jail time, you know, stocks, you know, a few things like that. You're going to have a rough go, but it's going to be great. You're going to love it. No, there's going to be some tribulation, but joy in the Holy Spirit because you know where you're going. Now you have this steadfast hope. Now you know who the living and true God is. It even says they turned to him from idols. This was a costly thing. This was in a place where it would be like now being in a place like Afghanistan and coming to Christ where, you know, the Taliban does not look favorably on Christians. 
right? Tribulation. But these people were willing to do it because they were convinced. They were convicted. They knew of the true God. He writes that they too were transformed. Even though they faced fierce opposition, they joyfully received the truth and became, look at it in verse, um, uh, verse 8. Uh, it sounded forth from, oh, sorry, no, verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers. They became examples. Some call, say models. You were model believers. You turned, you paid the price, and you guys became examples to people in Macedonia, in Achaia, and everywhere that news of your faith has gone forward. People are looking. The power of God in the gospel is transforming your lives now. You've been idol worshipers, but they turned to serve the living and true God and the people that they shared with were even testifying about how extraordinary these people were. They were telling Paul what his converts were like. He says, I don't even need to say anything about it because they are telling us, they, your, your converts now know how uh, extraordinary it was that you guys received us there. So this continues the gospel is not just words. It's not just a well-crafted argument or philosophy. In fact, it's often kind of sloppy how things play out. And, you know, people come to Christ one way and another way and another way. Like they, they come through, you know, hitting rock bottom and somebody else comes from having their questions answered and somebody else comes from boy, I really trust this person and they're a Christian and they love me. And I, you, so many ways, but it continues to, to happen. The gospel has been coming down from Paul to these people in Thessalonica and in Macedonia and all these places and then from them to the next place to the next place to the next place and it comes all the way down to you and me. And what does it do? It isn't just that we walk around with fat heads full of knowledge and say we know everything about God and we understand how it all plays out and everything. No! Has anybody here got some big gaps theologically in your head? Man, I read some things and I think, oh, every time I come to this verse, I'm like, I wish I could get it. But it, you know, there will be a verse and it'll just be like, I don't get it. But when we get to the gate of heaven and are about to be, we'll be admitted or rejected, not because, okay, John, who was the son of the fourth king of Judah? Oh, gosh. Folks, I, I knew I should have paid more attention to that kind of thing, you know. And I'll turn to Rose. <laughs> Who was it, honey? And she'll say, you know, I can't remember that. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, what will it be? It'll be based on a transformed life because of the gospel. Amen? Transformed lives. That's what God wants. That's what God's doing. He wants to change our life, lives. He wants to change your life more this weekend. He wants to change it regularly are are you are you there no is he looking for perfection no not here that's not going to happen but he's looking for that 
change, that ever-transforming, that that process at work, the gospel bringing change, bringing transformation. After this year, it was 40 years since I came to Christ. And there are some things that have been kind of worked through that I'm not worried about now. And there's a whole bunch of other things that I, you know, I struggle with and I don't like myself for. And I go over and I think about these kind of things. And much of it is in relationship with other people. And I, you know, you know, disclose, self-disclosure. I'm not happy with myself a lot of times. Anybody relate to that? But God's bringing a change. I'm not who I was. Because in 40 years ago, I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of it that I just didn't. I, I would have treated people a certain way, and I didn't care. There's a few people I think back on. I was talking to some people just this week. I don't even remember who it was. Thinking about something that I was involved in when I was in junior high school, like grade 7 or 8. And it still bothers me how we treated some people. And I, I know I'm forgiven, but I hate what I know was brutally painful for some people that, you know, we, you know, oh, kids are innocent. No, we were not innocent. We were rotten. And, you know, there's some of that stuff, but there's a transformation process taking place. And it's like step by step. One foot in front of the other. I'm changing. I'm going to keep changing. I want more of him. I'm reaching for him. God, there's power in you. There's power in the gospel. There's power in Christ to bring change to a sinner like you and me. Amen? And we need it. The proof of genuine faith in God and relationship with him is a transformed life. A transforming life. A change. Perfection, no. But the true gospel is infused with life-transforming power that is perfecting us. Uh, what is it? Second Corinthians 7.1 says, we ought to be, it says, cleanse yourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Perfecting holiness. God, I'm accountable to you. I fear you. I submit to that accountability. Keep changing me. Keep changing me. Keep changing me. Amen? Next week, we'll pick up here and cover this final verse of chapter 1. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Oh, I can't wait to talk about the wrath of God. 